and how that may or may not be uh, in concert with the Lord's will for us. So anyway, this morning I'd like to start off by kind of asking a question. Is America, or the United States of America, is America in good standing with God? Boy, now we could have a lot of discussion on that, couldn't we? Considering what we are seeing happening in America these days, it, uh, it appears that history keeps repeating itself over and over and over throughout the generations. And let me tell you what I mean by that. How many of us here in the congregation today praise for God to heal our people and heal our nation? I'll bet most of us do, some way or another. I know that I do when I, when I think about what's going on in our nation or in the whole world today. I think, God, do we need you more than ever. And you know that prayer has probably been prayed since probably back here in the front of the book of towards Exodus. Boy, do we need God more than we ever have before. And it's true. We certainly do. How many of us actually practice what we pray for? We tend to pray for things like, God, heal our people so there's not so much divide between us. Stop the hatred between us. Heal and guide our leaders in government. Please help our governing people with authority to do what is right and what is according to your word, God, and your ways, and so on. I think that we all have our favorite prayers, our concerns, our pray list, if you will. Sometimes I catch myself just thinking about kind of in an order when I'm saying my prayers, and sometimes I'm clear out of order, but God knows what I'm talking about. He knows what I need. He knows my prayers before I ever think them or say them. But anyway, I think that we all have our favorite prayers, our concerns, our pray list uh, that we think that is needing God's attention. But yet we see people continuing um, to elect the same people over and over, continually doing the same things that we need to we think need to be changed in our, our government. Why do we do that? It's kind of a funny thing, but they say that the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over and over, but we expect different results and outcome. We kind of fall into that trap sometimes. And I'd like to read this morning from the book of Ecclesiastes that I think is very fitting with today's lesson. But in the book of Ecclesiastes, I'll start in uh, chapter 1 and, and read the first 18 verses, <clears throat> and I'm reading out of the New American Standard, and it reads like this, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, vanity 
of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, I think we all have a pretty good idea what the word vanity means. But when we think about that, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all of his work, which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also, the sun rises in the east and then it sets in the west, and hastening to its place, it hurries there again and rises again. Blowing towards the south, then turning towards the north, the wind continues swirling along. In its circular course, the wind returns. All of the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which is, that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything, <clears throat> anything of which one might say, see, this is new. Already it has existed for ages which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things and also of the latter things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom things that all have been done under the heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge, and I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I realized that this also is striving after the wind. Because in much wisdom there is much grief, and interesting knowledge and increasing knowledge therefore is increasing pain. Wow, that's pretty deep. That's certainly something to think of. Going back up to about verse 13, I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning what has been done under heaven, and it's a grievous task God has set before us. Isn't that the truth? <clears throat> I guess in verse 18 where it says, because in much wisdom... There is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. And I've made a little note here to myself. Ignorance is bliss. I don't think so, but yeah, ignorance is bliss. But when we, when we talk about these writings here, there's nothing new under the sun. 
What should we expect when we look around our nation today or around the world today? What should we expect? This is nothing new. From the very days in the beginning, there have been issues like this. I'd also like to turn to the book of 2 Chronicles. And that was our opening scripture reading this morning. And it says, And if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So when we tend to pray to God about heal our land, Lord, uh, things aren't going well. Look what's going on in the world. Look what's going on in America. Heal our land. How can we do that? I mean, we're just a small congregation here. We're just a, a drop in the bucket, if you will. So when God tells us that when we humble ourselves and turn to him, He will. well, how do we do that? How do we start that? Well, let me tell you what. We have to do it ourselves. I can only be in authority over one person. And it's not Betty. It's Larry. I can only do what I can do. I can commit to what I can commit to and what I can do to change. But if all of us do that, if we will all humble ourselves and turn to the Lord, he will heal our land. But it's got to start with each one of us individually. I'm preaching to myself here a lot. Maybe this will apply to you, but we tend to rebuke our leaders our government, and what is happening in America. I mean, I do that. I turn on the news, uh, usually it's the television, and I I watch Newsmax now. They seem to be kind of in my, my ballpark. But anyway, when I see the things that are going on and hear some of the things that are happening, I, uh, <clears throat> I, I tend to rebuke them. And that's kind of a nice word coming from me. Sometimes I have to yell and scream a little bit, and I get angry and I get upset. But, of course, the word rebuke means to criticize, to reprimand, and to admonish, and to turn back, and so on and so forth. And that's kind of me sometimes when I'm, I'm, I'm hearing and seeing what's going on in our world. Okay, here's a question that we might want to ask ourselves. Was America founded because of, a, of man's doing? Or was America founded because people were tired of being in bondage and turned to God? Did God lead our founding fathers to America so that we could follow him and worship him freely? I think so. You know, when we look back through history and we look, turn to our scriptures here and we look uh, back as far as the book of Exodus, we look at God telling someone or a nation that I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to make things better, and I'm going to lead you out of this mess. And that happened. And we look at what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. 
and we look at what happened in the book of Noah. In the book of Jonah, we see these things happening over and over again, and it makes me go back to the book of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. We keep doing the same things. But you know, when Moses led the people out of Egypt, they had a memory about this long. They saw all these miracles happening. They were fed. They were given water to drink. And 10 minutes later, they were building a golden calf. And they were turning away. And we see that in the book of Jonah, you know, God came to him personally and he said, Jonah, I want you to go to this place called Nineveh because everybody there is really messed up. And this is Larry's translation. And I want you to tell him to repent and to come back to me. And, and what did Jonah do? Took off the other way. He wanted to run away from that. If I get on a ship and I sail across the sea, God can't find me and he can't use me. And, oh, did Noah learn a lesson? But anyway, time after time throughout history, we're shown that there's nothing new under the sun. Well, what's happening in America today? We're seeing so much corruption and dishonesty, greed, idolatry. We're seeing the issues surrounding abortion. And I don't mean this to sound like a political talk or an ideology talk, but open your eyes and look what we're seeing around America today and around the world. Gender issues, war, unrest, freedom of speech is being restricted or attempting to be restricted. Christians and the Christian churches are being persecuted. There's nothing new under the sun. So what do we do about that? As we read in Second Chronicles, when we are as a nation going to, when are we as a nation going to turn back to God? You know, in all of these different instances and stories that we've read from Exodus and following, when are we going to turn back to God? Some did not. There was always a remnant that did. And I think that probably part of the remnant is right here this morning to turn back to God. As heard in Ecclesiastes, again, nothing is new under the sun. So how should we deal with that, and what do we expect? Well, so far this morning, our situation here in America and around the world seems pretty dim. You know, and it did in Exodus, too, and it did in Jonah, and it did in several other books going, things seem pretty dim. But he tells us that if we turn back to him and we humble ourselves, he'll heal us. People over time stray from God. They become more wicked and they no longer obey him. And they follow their own lusts and desires and beliefs. But then we must remember that there's always that remnant. It was in Moses, in Noah, in Jonah people that obey God and do his will, people that know his commands and the promises that he has made to those excuse me, that follow him. There is certainly good news in this lesson today. 
the saga about mankind here on earth does have a happy ending. Thank God. And we have an advantage here. We have the beginning of history. We have the end. We know what the last quarter is going to be like in this game, so to speak. We know that God is going to be victorious. And as long as that we are in him, so will we be. <clears throat> John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That is our hope and our expectations. So when we consider all these things that are going on in our country, our nation, our world, this is our hope. Because God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to show us the way to him. Revelation tells us these trials and tribulations are going to always be part of this world. Always. As long as this sinful, sin-sick world exists. Why should we expect anything else? His words tell us very plainly. Why should Larry get all upset about what he sees on the news or what he sees on a billboard going down the highway? Why should I? Well, because I'm human and I get upset at those things and I want them to change and I want them to be better. But you know what? I'm kind of losing focus. I'm kind of going down a rabbit trail. I need to come right back to his scripture. God so loved the world that he gave his only son and that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And what more can we ask for than that? Eternal life to be with our Lord, our Savior, forever. His word tells us very plainly our duty is to trust him and obey him, to follow him, to do his will. And we, when our time comes, and it will come for each one of us, we know not when, but we know how to prepare for it. We will be with him forever and ever throughout eternity. Salvation is that ultimate gift that he has promised us. Again, church, I for one worry way too much about this nation. Sometimes I see what's going on around me and I get angry, I worry. I wish things were changing, and I tend to lose focus on his word, on his scripture, on his promises to each one of us. Whenever I see the TV and, and the news, I get depressed and angry and worried and so on, and I shouldn't do that. And I have to remind myself, and today is a reminder for all of us, when things are looking that way and you're feeling a little bit tangled up with what's going on in the world, turn that off. Turn this on. So church, why do we worry about things that we have no control over? And Revelation tells us very plainly what we need to expect. We know what the Bible tells us about worrying. And in Matthew, the book of Matthew, I'd like to read a little bit just as a reminder for Larry and maybe some of you we need to remember 
Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34 reads like this. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow and they do not reap nor gather into barns. And yet our heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to your life? And why are you worried about what you're going to wear? Observe the lilies of the field grow. They, go, they, they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. That's me. You of little faith. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things already. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek that first. Sometimes that's hard to remember. In the final verse, 34, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day's has enough trouble of its own. And that's something that I need to remember. Each day has its own troubles. And quit worrying. We've been forewarned as to what's going to happen in this world in the book of Revelation. We have been promised what we can expect and when we follow him. You know, years ago there was a popular song, I think it was out of Jamaica, I don't remember for sure, but I think it was called, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Everything is going to be all right. You remember that? Have you seen that video of this little kid, maybe eight or ten years old? Don't worry about a thing. Everything is going to be all right. And that's today's lesson. If you want to take something away from today's sermon, take that away. Don't worry. Be happy. Turn to God. Be happy with God's promise that he will always, always take care of us as long as we trust him and obey him. He will always be near us. His scripture tells us that. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He loves us, and he wants us to spend eternity with him. Don't worry, be happy. Trust and obey. Good morning.